I'm doing something today that I haven't done in years. And that is I'm preaching through a rock across the surface of the creek kind of a message about the five G's, which I have laid out for us before, but typically I, I will do this in several sessions with people who want to become fully committed members of the church. We call that the connections course. But I think that beginning of a new year is the right kind of time for us to look at remembering what kind of people we want to be. And so these five G's help us do that because they're five G's that represent five words that are New Testament words and they remind us, oh, this is what God is doing in us and through us to other people. And I think that it just might hopefully work as a catalyst to spur you on to good works in 2023. So the five G's, remembering whose we are, will help us remember who we are. Damar Hamlin is a name that I'm sure has become much more uh, popular or known in this last couple of days. We probably all have been praying for him. I can imagine most of us have. He was very newsworthy because of that terrible uh, spell that he had when his heart stopped on the field after what looked like a normal tackle. And we've already begun to see, I have at least in social media, thousands, perhaps millions of people who have been praying for this young man. They administered CPR on the field. They got his heart restarted, got him into ICU. I heard even just yesterday in an article, I didn't check yet today, maybe you have more current information, but as of yesterday, he was making a fairly remarkable recovery, trending in the right direction, I think is what they called it. Still has a ways to go but he was doing really well. And when he was able to communicate with folks because he was intubated, he couldn't actually speak. So he wrote, did we win? <laughs> Talk about the heart of a warrior. And I'm sure that everybody will continue to be lifting up this young man, Damar Hamlin. But what touched me and so many others that I've seen on social media was the fact that a game stopped, both teams knelt, they gathered together and prayed and then they realize something is far more important that's happening right now than finishing the game. So they stop the game. And I think sometimes God uses things in our lives and in our journeys that would bring us to our knees to remind us that there are certain things that are far more important than the things that we've been investing our time and energy in. And that's why I think these five G's are important because it reminds us whose we are so that we'll know what the priorities might look like as we're looking to become God's agency in the world, an agent of grace going into 2023. These five G's, if you want to jot them down, some of you are more auditory and so maybe uh, you'll just go back and listen to this later and it will sink in. Some of you like to write things down. Uh, however you can best interact with this information, I hereby give you my blessings to interact however you want to. The five G's are grace, growth, group, gifts, and giving. Tried to keep them simple. And I'll unpack them very briefly. Got about three or four minutes per, and we're going to race through these things because I think these will help reignite something in us for 2023. Grace, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, so says the Apostle Paul. It is the gift of God, 
Not by works so that no one can boast. That's one of the things that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Because when we can work for something, then we can start to feel pretty good about that which we have achieved. And Paul says it's not about that. And it's not about our achievement. It's not a performance-based evaluation. God simply pours his grace out to us just because he's that loving. And that's how we're saved. The result of that grace is that our have-to gets transformed into a want to. You hear me say that a lot because I think it's true. And when I see that fleshed out in real life situations, in real relationships, like with my parents, the older I got, the more I appreciated the grace they had poured out to me, the more I wanted to do things for them, not because I could pay them back. I never could. There's no way I could pay them back for all that they sacrificed on my behalf. But I wanted to do things simply because the have to became a want to, all because of grace. Here's a great quote from Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? He writes, Grace means there is nothing I can do to make God love me more and nothing I can do to make God loves me, love me less. It means that I, even I, who deserve the opposite, am invited to take my place at the table in God's family. And you who have participated in communion this morning, took a place at his table today, and it's a foreshadowing of the great table that we'll all get to sit at, and it's going to be a wonderful time. As I was writing through years ago, prior to Boulder Faith, the musical based on Simon Peter that Al Firestone invited me to participate with him in, I was trying to figure out what could we write that would show Simon Peter coming back to Jesus after Peter had denied Christ three times, publicly. A heinous kind of sin when you think about it, especially considering all that Christ had done for him. And there was something that came into my mind that helped me visualize how I might write that for the play. And it was a true life experience that happened with our family because we had sort of taken a young man under our wing. I had visited with him when he was going through a tough time, given some counsel, had some Bible studies with him. And then that young man did something that really hurt our family deeply, and it, was, it precipitated a series of events that took a long time to get past. And I really didn't want to see that young man because he'd hurt us so badly that it, my flesh had the initial reaction, and I thought, he needs to get some kind of recompense for what he's done. He needs his just reward, and I hope it comes swiftly. You know, that's how we feel when we feel that we're wronged. And so it took months before the Holy Spirit was working in my life and in my wife's life until we knew how we might respond to him. And I had begun praying, God, show me how I can respond now that I know that I'm going to have to face this young man sometime. But in answer to that prayer, God sent that young man to our church. And it was before church started, so we had just finished set up, and my wife and I were close together toward the front of the church, and that young man walked in the back door. And I saw the look in his face which said, I don't deserve you to take me back. I don't deserve your forgiveness, but I'm begging you. He didn't say a word, but that's what I could see in his face. And he just walked up to us, and the Holy Spirit poured himself out in that moment, and Joy and I just embraced him. And we all three wept together. Because how can you not? How can you not pour out grace 
in the same manner that God has poured his grace out to us so dearly through his son. And that's one of the things grace does for us. It allows us to extend grace just as we have been extended grace. So that's how we're saved. It's through God's grace. And then the second word is growth. It's normal for living things to grow. However, I've discovered through the years with my not so green thumb at times <laughs> that things have to be located in an environment where growth is possible. I uh, did a really good job of trying to kill a nice fern plant in college in our dorm room. And uh, my roommate had a friend. And she said, I have a grow light in my room. I'll take it and nurse it back to health for you if you'd like. And she took it for a couple of weeks and it came back and it was flourishing, this gorgeous, beautiful plant. And then we stuck it over on the place where we had it before and within just about a week's time, it was starting to look kind of sickly. And I realized, oh, okay, so you need the right kind of light and you need enough water and you need not to have it right next to a radiator where the dry heat is just going and sucking all the moisture out of it. You need to have it in an environment of growth. So when I think about Paul's words to us in 1 Corinthians, he says, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. And he gives these analogies to show us that that happens with all of us spiritually in a body of Christ. Some plant, some cultivate, some add some water. God's word is the light. We need to be exposed to that. But God is the one who brings all the growth in all of our lives, and we need to be in an environment where that takes place. I also think about Jesus' words because of his parable about the four different kinds of soils. There's that hard path. No roots can go down from that. The evil one snatches away the seed. There's the rocky uh, soil, which is shallow, so there may be some root, and the plant may come up and look promising at first, but then it withers away. And so we need to get away from the rocks or get the rocks out of our lives. And then there's the weeds, the cares of this world, trying to put our trust in the things that the world says is important. And those things will choke out the Word of God. And then there's that good soil, the deep roots, those who hear and understand and then do something about the Word that gets implanted in our hearts. And we want to be good soil people. I have good news about that young man who came to us asking for forgiveness. He started changing everything around. He said, I don't have an addiction problem, I have a friend problem. And he changed his circle of influence and he changed the kinds of friends he hung out with. He started addressing some of the needs in his own life by exposing himself to the light of God's Word. And he said, I'm an auditory learner. I have a learning disability that causes me to be able to mix words up. I think he was probably referring to dyslexia. I'm not sure. But he had a hard time reading a lot. And so he found this wonderful application on Bible Gateway. And he started listening to it. Because in the NIV version, you got this wonderful, rich voice of Max McLean. And he will read the Bible. And so my friend started listening to that every day on his drive to and from work. And he said, so I'm getting the word into my life more and more. By the way, if you'd like to sign on to that, I realized that you can go through different Bible reading plans. And they have several to choose from. You can do chronological. You can do from Genesis all the way through to maps. You can do whatever form you want to do it. Right now, I'm doing a 40 days through the Gospels readings. And if you sign up for it and put on your little 
uh, email address, you can have them email you every day with a specific length of reading that you need. So it makes it easy for you to get it in your inbox, touch on it, and if you're an auditory learner, hit the little icon if you're in NIV version, and Max McLean will show up right there in your car or living room, and he'll read the Bible to you out loud. A lifetime of transformation starts to happen when we're exposed to these growth-oriented environments. When we can be exposed to the light of God's Word and to His living water, which He promises to be Himself in the Gospels, Jesus Christ. He says, I am that living water, and you'll never grow thirsty with this kind of water. It's going to bubble up just like an artesian well into your life. And that kind of growth becomes what the Bible calls sanctification. We're set apart. We're made pure. We're made holy as Jesus is holy. And God does that over time. And the aim of that is not so that we can become proud of our morality. It's so that we can become more like Christ because God is building a house so that he can live there. And he's bringing a little heaven to earth as we impact the people around us as well. I love this quote. I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis often this year because I just keep running across great quotes. And you've heard this one before, but I'm going to read it again because you probably don't have it memorized just yet. But this is talking about the kind of growth that God has in store for us. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in ways that hurt abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. That's the kind of transformation that happens when we expose ourselves to the growth-oriented environments like places like church where we can hear God's word explained and expounded. When we go into small groups where we can study it together and dig out those nuggets for ourselves and learn how to apply them much more practically in real life discipleship, which is happening in many of the small groups in our church. Some people might say, well, why would God want to get rid of something in my life that's so dear and near to me? I've heard people ask me that. I'd say, well, that's why. Because when he starts knocking your house about, he's making you into a very different house than the one you might have imagined. And he's making it so that he can come and live there himself. I would think that's much more preferable than to the thing you thought was so precious that you didn't want to give it up. So how do we put ourselves in an environment where growth happens? Well, we need to move into a good soil environment. Go to where the word can get into you. Discipleship is a group sport. It's a group process. People who are left to do their own individual studies can get something from the Word, clearly. But there's something profound and exponentially better when we get in groups with other people who are also digging into that soil and looking for the light to be shined into their lives. 
Small groups are where good soil can be found. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's Acts 2.42. There's a church in Ann Arbor called 2.42, and it's based on this particular passage. They were talking about the kinds of meals they shared. Some were actual meals where they just put their feet under the other person's table and eat together. We've had some of those great opportunities recently with people that we know and care about. And then they were talking about communion, like we have done here as well, that kind of breaking bread. And there's something that happens when you get together in a small group of people that you're on the same path together that you just can't do by yourself. Like a guy in Sunday school back years ago when I was at the previous church and we had just started to unpack something in scripture at the end of our Sunday school time. We only had 45 minutes to do it because we had to have the 15 minutes of people chit chat before we started the study. You know how that goes. And then by the time we had to get the buzzer to ring, because we were in a building where the deacon would ring the bell, and it sounded like a doorbell that means, y'all get to worship, you hear? And he heard that bell ring, and he, he looked so dejected. And I said, what's going on? He said, ah, we're finally just getting to the good part. I had a couple of good questions that I thought was going to be answered, because I think God is starting to deal with me in this specific area, and, but we have to leave. And I wanted so badly to be able to stay there and talk through that stuff with him, but I had to go lead the music, so I had to leave and go to worship right away. There's something that happens when we have more time to really dive into the nitty-gritty and to listen to each other and pray for one another and support one another, to do all the biblical one-anothers with each other. That happens in home-based small groups, and I'm so grateful that we get to do that. We're actually starting a new, we're calling it a tiny group because it's only going to be one person and a couple. And we're hoping that it might sprout and grow into becoming a small group one day. Maybe we'll go from tiny to micro and then small. I don't know. But it's so great that we're going to be able to see this multiplication of small groups. And I long for more to happen in our midst because I see that's where the real life discipleship and the real spiritual growth happens. And then four is gifts. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives us instructions about those. What we learn from that in the little primer course is that God gives them. We can't determine what those gifts might be. I have always wanted the gift of trapeziology. He hasn't given it to me. Uh, we all have different gifts and a different gift mix. Some people, like Carolyn, who's done this, and she'll be passing the torch to some other capable people, can make a plain space look not plain and make it look beautiful. There are other people who can do that with food. We have the people with the gift of hospitality. We have the gifts of teaching. We're blessed with that in our relatively small-sized church with great Bible teachers. It's the same spirit that activates every one of these gifts. And they're all for the same purpose, which is to build up the body, to edify the rest of the body, and to reach out to accomplish the mission that God has for us on this planet. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 a spiritual gift is given to each of us, which means that nobody's exempted. Everybody has one, at least. And they are there for the common good, so we can help each other. I was amazed the way our church family applied a variety of gifts to help a refugee family. So grateful for that. Uh, we talked about it a little bit in our Wednesday night online prayer service last Wednesday evening, but I'll share some of it with a broader group here. I actually got to meet this person and uh, it's so fun to hear 
James, especially with his Spanish ability, applied that language skill that he has, he can rattle off like he was born Spanish, even though he wasn't. And we would be, I'm sure, much slower in trying to find out what's going on in this situation if it were not for James. But there were a variety of things being given through this body. Many of you gave specific goods to be passed along to the people in need. Another person had a storage uh, locker, which you made available to us. There are many, many ways that the, the body of Christ came together for that, and it was so cool to see that happen because now we have an ongoing relationship with somebody, and it becomes real. Instead of just giving to this unknown ethereal thing online and saying, well, some missionary someplace is doing something with somebody, it becomes personal. And I love that, and I love to see how God uses all these gifts in the way he does. Uh, the same thing happened this year for the Operation Christmas Child Boxes. Uh, I, I'm going to use that phrase that I coined with you, David, just the other day. Lisa would say to somebody, my goal this year is to blow last year's goal out of the water. I'm I want us to give more than 700 boxes. And somebody who says, oh, I'm a realist, that's not realistic. And she would say, hold my communion cup. <laughs> Watch this. Because she did. She went to town, and I noticed that there were other people involved. She started involving some of the ladies earlier in the year. I think even back at the ladies' retreat, they started packaging, pre-packaging things. And there were a number of people that got involved in that. 785 shoeboxes. And the reason for that is not so we can brag about the number of shoeboxes. It's because there are real children receiving these things in real places. And it puts faces and names together knowing that these kids have an opportunity to meet Jesus and be transformed forever. What a great reach. And that's because of all the spiritual gifts that are united in doing something in a corporate way that we could not do individually. Well, we've got setup team. I had somebody in Texas tell me the other day that they had looked in on one of our services and they said, oh man, you guys are a mega church. So, thank you, tech team. <laughs> Those of you watching, if you only knew. <laughs> there are Bible teachers. There's the praise team. They come and lead us into God's presence, joining many others who are already praising, joining the angels themselves. And they bring the attitude of praise with them. So it's not just because they've got the physical skill. It's they've got the heart that goes with that. We've got the preschool team, people who can watch preschoolers and create a nice, wonderful growth environment for them. We've got communion set up. We've got missionary supporters. Uh, I was so thrilled to see that Kevin Richardson with One Link was involved this last year. 148 students were trained this last year by One Link. And our church, very small portion of their support, but we do help sponsor some of that work. 33 mission teams were sent out by them into 11 different countries. And that's just one of the eight missionaries that we partially support. There are others... Uh, in the Caribbean, somebody in Guatemala, uh, Southeast Asia. There's no telling what all's going over there because of George Collins. He's like a modern-day Apostle Paul, and he's got his hands into many different locations because of local indigenous work that's going on there. Uh, we've got Chile, the Garcias, Turkey, Kenya, Nepal. It's incredible, and when we think about that, I feel like I have sort of the embarrassment of riches 
because I feel like there's too much of it that's coming my way for salary. And so my family and I are committed to help support that as well. So we give not only our tithe, but when we can, we also pitch in toward mission support and different other projects that happen along the way. And I know many of you do because you're a generous congregation that way. So that's spiritual gifts at work in so many different ways, and it's happening right here in this body of Christ. And then the final one, giving. And this is the good stewardship part of being a part of the body of Christ. We understand that God owns everything, and we're just the managers. We're supposed to just distribute it where it can do the best good, as you have shown recently, even just by those two examples that I just gave you. And when you think about laying up treasures in heaven, it's the ultimate pay-it-forward experience. Scripture says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin can destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And because we know that heaven is touching earth everywhere believers are present, then when we're spreading around the wealth that God gives us to manage, we're also bringing a little heaven to earth so that we can show people the tangible expressions of love and care and grace that God has for them. I told you about this time uh, when my family was younger and we ran out of money before the end of the month and we didn't have too many groceries, but I thought we'll be okay. And I kind of struggled just for a moment. Should I go ahead and write my tithe check out? And I said, well, of course I should. That's God's money. It doesn't even belong to me. It's his to start with. I'm not going to borrow from him and try to pay it back. So I went ahead and did that knowing that we just didn't have any more money for groceries. But we had peanut butter. We had graham crackers. We'd be fine. We're fine. We're all fine. And yet when we showed up at church that Sunday morning after that Saturday when I wrote the tithe check, we got done with church, went out to our car, and there in the back seat, it was lined up with grocery bags filled with groceries somebody in our church had felt prompted. They said later, it was just a nudge of the Holy Spirit. I don't know why. We hadn't told them. But she just felt prompted to fill up a bunch of grocery sacks full of groceries and give it to the pastor that week. God knew that. And I I think that showed me one of many times when I'm tempted to put other things first instead of putting God first, recognizing that God just blesses our socks off (laughs) when we put him first. And that's my, uh, my appeal to us today is that if we remember whose we are, it's easy to put him first. But we want to put ourselves in these growth-enriched environments where we can be exposed to the light of his word and the living water of his Holy Spirit. So let's remember whose we are. And if somebody might be watching, because I never know who looks at these things, so we put these things out there even on YouTube just in case somebody stumbles across a message and they say, but how do I start the journey? I don't even know how to start that. The beginning of this year, let me make it clear that it's easy to do so. You can use the ABCD method if you'd like. A, admit. Just admit that you need Jesus. Acknowledge that he is who the Bible says he is. B, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he lived a sinless life, he was crucified, He was buried, he rose again, and he appeared to witnesses. And so he is Lord and Savior. And then C, confess that you need his forgiveness. Just tell him, God, I need your forgiveness. And I need your guidance in my life. And then D, 
Declare that to somebody you know would be thrilled about the decision that you have made. Tell somebody about it. And you can even do that through our online portal because Callie told us in the announcements that we have that connect button and you can connect with us and let us know that God has done something to touch you through one of these messages. And then somebody might say, okay, well, I've done that. I did that a while ago, and I've actually been baptized to identify with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, but I want to continue the process somehow. How do I do that? Well, how about a simple one, ABC, for that too? The apostles' teaching, that's what we've been doing today. That tends to happen more in many contemporary churches in a Sunday morning gathered worship experience. But there's also B, Bible study, which you can do in smaller groups. And as you can tell, I'm really big on small groups because that's where I think whole life discipleship really starts to happen. And then C, community. We build community by sharing meals together and communion together, caring for one another, praying for one another, visiting one another when we know somebody needs a word of encouragement. All those one another's we can do for one another as community. So that's it, quite simply. That's how we make ourselves available to the growth God has for us. He's the one who brings the growth, but we can expose ourselves to the growth-producing environments. And let me just give you a heartfelt plea. If by chance you're one of the persons among many that I've read about and heard about who got hurt because of people who professed to be believers and who did not behave very nicely during a pandemic, and you've fallen away from attending anything remotely like a church. Can I just tell you that I would love to see you get back into doing something that would put you in contact with other believers who are on the same path, not because there's a perfect church. If I'm in it, it's not perfect. Because we need to put ourselves in a position so that God can bring growth in our life. Here's a, a very imperfect analogy, but let's say that I got my feelings hurt at the grocery store because some clerk treated me very badly. And I went home and said, I'm not going to that grocery store again. Well, there's another market in town, so that's no big deal. I can go to the market, even though I have to pay a lot more money, but I go there. And, and then what happens if I get my feelings hurt there too? And then I come home and say, I'm not going to go there either. Until pretty soon I say, I'm just not going to go shopping for food. I keep getting my feelings hurt there all the time. What's going to happen? Well, I could try to grow some of my own food, but I don't think it's going to work great. I mean, I might grow enough to make some chili or something. I don't know. But I'm going to start to falter. My health is not going to be as good. I need nutrition. I need ongoing things coming into my life to help me grow. And I think there's something at the soul level that starts to happen over time. It's not as evident at first, but over time, there's something that just starts to make me feel unhealthy if I'm away from those growth environments at the soul level. And I would say, boy, give some church a chance. Go shop around a little bit. Find some people that have a good small group in their home so you can dive into the Word together and support one another and really learn what it means to have total life discipleship. Because months from now, maybe a couple of years from now, you might look back and realize there's something about my character that just doesn't sit right. I'm allowing things into my life that I had not allowed before. I'm saying things that I didn't want to say before. I'm hanging out with people that I really didn't want to hang out with. 
I'm starting to do things in my life that I realize I'm not on the best trajectory here. If that's the case, oh, I just plead with you, not because I'm being legalistic, but because I would love for you to experience the kind of ongoing growth and compassion and care and concern and all the things that God's people can do for us if we're in those kinds of environments. That's my appeal to you. Let's pray about that, shall we? Father, sometimes I wish I could clone myself so I could go and visit people individually and sit down and listen to their stories and feel their heartbeat and put my arm around them and lovingly nudge them in the right direction. But I can't do that to everybody that I would love to hear this message. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit will pour some living water into the lives of the people who are hearing this message and that you'll quicken their hearts, that you'll awaken something inside them, that you'll rekindle a flame of a desire for the things that you have in store for them so that if there are some people who have just fallen away, they've fallen out of the habit, that you would show them where they can go to find the kind of growth environment that we've talked about. Because you want us to grow. That's your desire. And I desire that as many people as possible could experience that kind of life-changing growth so that we can become your change agents and agents of grace on this planet. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.